everybody, and welcome to episode four of the World Hoppers podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping out new readers navigate Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere, but also provide some discussion for longtime fans who may also want to introduce someone to the series. I am Shane, and I am here with my co-hosts Alfonsina and Alana, as well as special guest Christian. Today we will be discussing The Well of Ascension, the second book, uh, Miss Born Era 1. We will be avoiding spoilers not only for the rest of the series, but for all of the Cosmere, though we will highlight what you could pick up as a first-time reader that could be a hint uh, towards the greater Cosmere. Welcome everyone! Hi. Hello there, Alfonsina here. We got to have Christian on. It's going to be a fun episode, though it's very yeah, long, long, <laughs> knowing how many things we have to talk about. Yeah, long for already pretty long podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be worth it. We have a friend, Chris, from, from the Discord, actually, who is like a hardcore cosmic reader and reader in general. Um, we have so much fun with him discussing all sorts of different things that I think it's probably going to be very fun to record oh, yeah. this and talk about the Well of Ascension. So yeah. I mean, so, if yeah. our Fires of Heaven talks are anything to go by, I will this say is gonna I, be really this fun. was my third time reading this book, so I was able to pick up on a lot and really focused. And it was nice to be able to skip around now on be- on one particular aspect of the book that I don't like. Mm-hmm. When that name showed up, I was like, "Great, <laughs> skip." <laughs> and we will go through that. Yeah, for any new listeners, this is my first read. I'm Ilana. Um, I think this was Shay and Alfonsina's second read. Actually, I wasn't able to read like all of it because I've been rereading The Wheel of Time for my extended essay, and that takes up all of my reading. Right. About to finish uh, Fires right. of Heaven, so I didn't have yeah. time to reread. I've only read Miss Born One. Cool, so you just want to get into some general setup things? Sure. Uh, I didn't start like with the general things, like what has happened since. Because it's been a year since the end of final, the Final Empire, and I do want to talk about the epigraphs a bit. Because epigraphs at this point are always interesting, and I want to get some theories. And yeah, so uh, want to start with the epigraph? Sure. Yep. These are really interesting. Uh, the first is actually one of my favorites. It says... I write these words in steel, for anything not said in metal cannot be trusted. Gosh, and the foreshadowing there. I know that's usually your thing, Shay, but... That's my favorite, too. It's so satisfying. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So, it's very interesting that, once again, we get this epigraph. We don't know who's writing them, and we know that this is an in-word text, and we have to be paying attention to the review moment in which this text appears. So, for example, in my case... Even in my first time reading this book, what I did was grab everything on part one and read all the epigraph all together and then went with the like one for one chapters, like general reading order and went like reading again the epigraph to see if I got like any hint, any foreshadow, any spoiler, of course, because I was like voluntarily looking for that. So, of course, and I really enjoy doing, doing this kind of things with random books. So this this one were like very interesting ones. Yeah, I will. I wonder if uh, you had like any theories on about like what they were and what this meant uh, before we actually got some ideas. Well, I'm just going through and rereading um, the first three as you guys were talking, and I'm trying to remember what exactly I was thinking there because I definitely got the feeling that this was from the person that we were talking about in the first book that I still can't remember his uh, name. 
Um, the actual person that did write the epigraphs. Uh, Alendi. Um, yeah, I thought this was the man that was close to Alendi that then left because he does talk about like his brethren and the terrorist men and that sort of thing. But I did not see the plot twist coming with the changing and how like the epigraphs are different. I once again thought this was just like a really straightforward like oh yeah, it's just the person that's writing things and we're getting bits and pieces, like, as as Brandon does. And I really should know by now that nothing is ever that simple <laughs> whenever yeah. it comes to Brandon. Especially, especially the since you have already read Stormlight. Yep, yeah. You should know, it's um, not that simple. But I, God, I, I can't get over the foreshadowing, but that is literally the first epigraph that we get. And yep. I love everything about that. <laughs> yeah, prediction-wise, I yeah. didn't have a ton for the epigraphs. I just thought, oh, cool writings. I guess we'll figure out more about them later and just kind of moved on. But yeah. Any other thoughts on them? <laughs> so I remember this was the first thing I read by Brandon was the Mistborn Era one. And I did not know anything about his whole foreshadowing business. So mm. whenever I read the epigraphs, I was like, oh, this is weird and moved on. Never thought about them oh. again. It was after finishing Hero of Ages that, you know, I started looking up stuff and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like these mean things. Okay. And so I was totally clueless. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's one of the biggest points I made, like in my foreshadowing article, which, okay, none of you can read that because it has major <laughs> spoilers for both the Cosmere and the Wheel of Time. <laughs> so none of you have finished the Wheel of Time. So... <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, no, I'm not gonna spoil things for you. But it's one of the major points I made that is like the whole point is that people don't pay attention to these and they're like, oh, this is weird and move on. And if you actually pay attention, these have a ton of it is essentially like spoilers for later on. It's so similar to like Dragon Mouse, the prologue of the Eye of the World, that makes so much more sense knowing exactly like what uh, Luce Theron and uh, Elin Moore and Tedra and I are talking about, like all those terms, like knowing what they mean, you can figure out a lot more about it going back. But like on your first read, you're like, this is weird. Okay, who cares? Let's just keep going. You get like the main idea and you don't pay attention to those tiny things, which are very, very meaningful later on. Okay, I don't have time to go back and reread this whole prologue while we're talking. You said that, my brain's like, go do it, reread it now. <laughs> so I'll put that aside for later. But yeah, there's a whole lot hidden in the epigraphs. And at least with my style of reading, I never have predictions related to that. Because my first big thing with epigraphs was Way of Kings. Mm -hmm. And you don't find out what was happening there until the very end. And so I was just kind of like, oh, I'll just wait and see what happens. And so that's just kind of been my whole reading philosophy when it comes to the epigraphs. Right. I mean, the difference between these epigraphs and the ones we get in the Way of Kings is that some of the epigraphs on the first Stormlight book are not completely like understood even now that we have four books. There are a lot of mysteries going on in in those tiny pieces of text. But what I can say, of course, without spoilers for you, because you are not a spoilers friend, <laughs> is that the difference we get in Mistborn is that everything you get in these books is going to be explained. And it, it's like a huge ton of foreshadowing this uh, second book epigraph and it's insane how they are connected with so many things that are revealed on the third book so I mean you, you're gonna have to wait and say okay I'm gonna see what happens with this once I finish the the air one but you're going to get very soon a lot of explanations but what I like about these epigraphs is that when you read them they gave you this sense of wrongness like they had this mm -hmm. Alendi guy 
who was perfect, who was like the hero, the prophesied, super awesome guy that appeared out of nowhere. And the very person who pointed him out is saying, I am a fraud and this is wrong. And you're like, oh my God, what is, why is it wrong? What happened? What did the Lord Ruler found, find out when, when he did whatever he did at the Well of Ascension? So I like how this sets the mood for the third book in which everything is wrong everything is a mess from now on the yeah. things are going messier and messier all the time in a world i'm scale. so scared see all your reactions to everything that happens there to me, it's Hero of Ages such is like a good a ending book three of the game of thrones books where every oh, chapter no. something huge happens it's my favorite cosmia book aside from oathbringer <laughs> i love it mm-hmm you guys are just making me scared to pick it up. Like, I don't want this to end. <laughs> Especially not whenever there's so much going on. I mean, it's weird because this trilogy is a full set of experiences because, at least in my opinion, this gave me a lot of anxiety because everything was going wrong and everything was already kind of sad and wrong. But at the same time, you get so many answers and hope. And, well, there's, like, this contradiction between how grey and brown and sad everything is and how these people are fighting for surviving and hope and even that pure and nice message has some dark secrets behind it. So I think it's very real. I mean, the way that everything is overlapping, all of these nice and sad and bad things, um, it's extremely awesome. <sighs> but yeah. Yeah, and like you were talking about with the, like, how it sets the tone, I really got that even from, like, the beginning of... Uh, the Final Empire, whenever... I think it took me, like, a few chapters to be like, this seems too straightforward. There's something not quite right here. And then, like, that just keep The fear and kind of, like, the wrongness just ratchets up more and more mm -hmm. until you get to the big reveal at the end there. And then you jump right into Well of Ascension with the same type of wrongness, but with even more secrets being revealed. Mm -hmm. And so it just, like, it continues this feeling that you get from the first book to just keep the momentum going. And I really enjoyed how well that worked for setting the mood. It's all about momentum. So, as I said, it's been a year since the end of the Final Empire, and Elend is king. We talked about this uh, last episode, and I was worried about what would happen uh, with Elend as king, because he knows all the theory, but not much of the practice. And so, yeah, and, like, there's still have traces of the Lord Ruler's government, that like, all the fears, and yeah, there's a lot of things that are, like, carrying over. Like, from last book, we have Kelsier's legacy, to talk about, which is always interesting because it's Keltier. Mm -hmm. Ellen and how he starts like growing like as a leader, especially when Tyndall comes in. And so I don't know, what do you yes, want yes. to talk about first? Because there's a lot. Oh gosh. Um I would probably say let's talk about Eland as king or Ellen as king because there's a lot to unpack yeah. there and he goes on quite quite the journey, the I'd say. Because he yes. grows. <laughs> he is totally changed by the end. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, what what I like is that I think I mean we are kinda young people. We're not like full brown adults, but we're kinda young and I can relate a lot with Ellen in this eagerness to do the right thing, to face his newly achieved leadership with idealism and doing the best for everyone and I love how the world smacks his face like absolutely unexpected for him because he was expecting to do something 
very nice for for the society to change things and he has to face that um <laughs> he has to play the game of thrones kind of now and he doesn't know the rules and if i yeah. if i am allowed the reference oh, yeah. in the game of thrones <laughs> you either you either win or you die so the stakes are real high here because powerful people has dangerous resources and the things that are moving behind the tables not even like cosmic relevant stuff but political stuff are super tough to handle and the ideal representation of him as a leader in the minds of the people is also something very important and i just i mean some people find this part kind of boring but i enjoy it the thing about these like talks in which you have the seats for the the noble people for the ska people the the ones who were kind of in the middle it's i, I love that political arc i think it's very well developed if i remember right he modeled it after the french revolution and it's like a more simpler version of it yeah. is how he uh, kind of. it. Mm, yeah yeah i definitely got some mm-hmm. i definitely got some french revolution vibes from that yeah i think i mentioned before that i did like ld debate and so i've spent a lot of time studying like philosophical things about like governments and how they should run and so it was really interesting to see someone try to take all of that theory even if it isn't the same exact theory that we have in our world and try to physically apply it and the discussion of like where theory versus action falls short and like what you need to do to overcome that yes but i also thought it was really interesting how he goes from being like very critical of a dictatorship to then like instituting a monarchy instead and i know i'm coming at this from a very american perspective where i'm just like ew monarchy terrible no oh yeah at least it's a parliament but i'm surprised he didn't try yeah he does he has a parliamentary parliamentary monarchy a bit more than the british do since the queen is more of a figurehead but yeah it was interesting to see him kind of have to deal with the action actual action part of running a country as opposed to saying like yeah in theory this is how everything should go whenever people don't always kind of live up to how you think they will yeah, and I think this you see this really well in the first chapter, which was very uh, interesting to me because Brandon took a long time to write, write this chapter. I was reading through the annotations, I didn't finish them. But originally he had started with the fight scene with Vin and Zane, but that never felt right because it felt too slow because he had to go back and explain Alamance, even though if it was a fight scene. The pacing just didn't work until he added the scene with uh, Ellen and Ham on the wall. And mm-hmm. it's just really interesting to see how Alan is like, that were like for advice and like how to rule and yeah it's like you're the ones who came up with the strategy for overthrowing the empire and then made it happen and they talk about how Kelsier was the one that had like the vision in the group and to be perfectly honest Kelsier wouldn't have ruled this empire properly either no 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 (laughs) that wouldn't have worked out Kelsier is very charismatic and he's good with small groups Kelsier would have not done well for final empire yeah, he has the they charisma, sh- but he doesn't have up. the morals <laughs> that you need. Gosh, That'd I don't even want to. <laughs> oh, God, that is... Oh. Yeah, they could rule the world <laughs> if they didn't kill each other first. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and there's also the fact that Ellen was kind of like this late teenager, rich kid who was dressing up 
but in a messy way because he didn't want to be the perfect noble. He wanted to rebel against his super powerful father and he would be reading in the ballroom and now he has to face this political position and he doesn't even have an idea on how he has to look in order to inspire authority and I have always been very interested in fashion because people think it's frivolous but I think it's actually a very important aspect in social relationship and in social situations because we can't avoid unless like you're blind you can't avoid to form a picture of the people you have in front of you based on how they look and how they like smell the way they sound the way they move so it's it's not very nice to admit this but you have to pay attention to these kind of things and if you have a position of power you have to take into account this at least as a factor that it's going to put some variation in your your situation as a ruler so I love how he's absolutely, he doesn't have an idea of how to to do this. He needs help. He's completely clueless. Yeah, he needs so much help. (laughs) Oh, and she's such a rough teacher. (laughs) I felt, I didn't like her at first, but then when you find out about her story, you are like, I mean, I get her. I get you, girl. You're that way because because you have a reason to be that way. Yeah. Also, all those comments about Ash make me want to talk about like <laughs> the Wheel of Time and how Robert Jordan uses that there because people are always complaining. That's really not as bad as people say about how he describes like every button <laughs> on the dresses yes. and whatever. And yes, you really can tell a lot about like cultures like in the Wheel of Time, like with the way they dress but that's another topic and that would be spoilery so well but even if i don't know anything almost i mean i know almost nothing about the wheel of time this is something that random puts attention to in every book because in every book you get like a at least a general description of the style that people wears and when you have people from different countries you get an idea of how they are different from each other even if brandon is not so much detailist as apparently Robert Jordan, he puts a lot of attention and he definitely describes the way that people look to give you an idea of the way they are presented or the way they present themselves into society. Yeah, I think there's a lot of identity in how you dress and how you want to present yourself to the world. So I think that can kind of play into like larger Cosmere mechanics with identity being such an important aspect. So I think it makes sense that he spends time talking about like how someone dresses versus like how they dress at home versus in public and all of that and kind of the journey that Eland has to go through. I think it makes a lot of sense like no, I haven't for even the cosmos considered as a whole. that mm-hmm. and how uh I, the concept of like identity like, uh, comes into it. Like we really don't know much about identity at this point. It's something that Lord more like in things like Stormlight. They also talk about it a bit in Warbreaker and uh, Mistborn era too. But yeah, I really, huh, this is something that I have never considered. I mean, in Mistborn, you only get the very um, detailed description of the ball gowns and this whole thing about Ellen having to dress as the king and the white clothing and what it represents on the landscape of ashes and dirt everywhere. And that's pretty much it but it's nice to see that Brandon was paying attention to these kind of things even from the beginning of his career and something that sticks and gets better in his books later books Ellen has a long way to go to become the perfect king yeah and Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, this character 
it's just so well done. I think it's one of my favorites in the whole series. Uh, with the way, like, at the beginning, like, he's such a pushover, like, especially at the assembly, like you are noting, like, in the notes, Christian. And how he's, like, asking, like, everybody for advice rather than, like, being decisive. And, like, yes, asking people for advice is important, but you can't let other people, like, make decisions for you. And that's what Alphonse is uh, essentially uh, doing at the assembly. And then uh, Tindwell comes, and he just starts setting him right. Like, she knows all these biographies of all these uh, famous leaders and she starts helping him and that's what Alan really needed and he becomes like a great leader by the end of it. I have so many mixed feelings about Tinvale. I I'm gonna be very curious to hear your thoughts on her and her character arc. Well it depends for me it changed a lot on the first time reading and the second time because after you know everything that happened to her from the beginning and you know what happens to her at the end of the book, I think uh, it made me appreciate it, appreciate her She's a little bit more person than the first Ellen time. Needed. I, I don't think I'd like a teacher like that, but I mean, if I was in charge of this whole government while you know every, <laughs> the siege is going on, that's the best person to do it. So, she, I think she's the best of the new characters in this book because <laughs> all the other ones suck. <laughs> I hate them. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about a lot of the new characters that have been introduced. I will say that Tinvale's probably my favorite, but that's not saying much, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, did you... I I felt it was impossible to not grow attached to her by the end. When she was done with the rough, uh, tough mothering, when she acknowledged Ellen as the king, it was very meaningful, in my opinion. So when I started seeing her like in the place of the terrorist woman with the furokemi, with the ability to do this research with Seised, I think she became much more interesting in comparison to when she was just like this... Um, <laughs> we're a teacher. We're like um, I don't know the word in English, but there's this teacher that you get uh, at tutor? home in the past. Yeah, well, kind of a, tu- a tutor, a very disciplined tutor. So she gets better. She gets so yeah. Much better. I I really liked a lot of those moments. I think my main issue comes with I didn't love how often her trauma was brought up, just because that felt like uh-huh. I don't know. I feel like it was overused and discussed too often, since it often wasn't her talking about it. It was people talking about her trauma, um, and I didn't enjoy that all that much. But I would have been a lot more okay with it if she hadn't died at the end. Because then I feel like she would have had the chance to, like, grow past that trauma, at least in the reader's eyes. Whereas now we're kind of, that's all that we know about her, is she had a very traumatic time, unfortunately having to give birth a lot. And then she was going to get past that and then she died. And I feel like that just was a very unsatisfying character arc, as well as just, I don't know, it bothered me. I did not enjoy that. Oh, it's kind of very hard for me to be critical about the decision that Brandon makes. The Brandon makes, because I mean, I can see what you say, but and I can recognize that you have a solid point. But in my opinion, that the fact that she died at the end, it's like a way of showing us that this world was up and people was dying a lot, and we saw. Ca- Kaladin, come on. Um, we saw Kelsier died. We we saw we saw her die in a very horrible and tragic fight. I mean, it's like that's the way life works. When you have a war, you lose 
people and you lose them in terrible ways and you have people being awesome and powerful and strong like Sace and you have people freaking out and curling up in a corner in the darkness like a breeze at the end of the book. So in my opinion what we saw what we saw was that everyone was getting different destinies and it was her time. I mean she was unlucky this time but yeah. Especially because we see a hint of what this will mean for Seizid in the next book because of his reaction to her death. And I do want to think, like, what do you think will happen with Seizid? Seizid, who was always so careful and so wide, such a, like, guiding force, like, for Vin and for everybody around him, even Kelsier, could be uh, crazy at times. Like, how do you think uh, this will affect him, somebody who was so important to him and who had really uh, changed his life. Yeah, she was kind of there to fulfill Stacey's yeah. arc. I think that's, that's what true. bugs me about the, her death. Not at all, I believe, that people should die in war, if that makes sense, like in literary wars. Because that is the reality. And I think it would have it would have been more impactful, and I hate myself for saying this because I love Stacey so much, but if he had been the one to die, like, after his moment of, like, strength and, like, rallying the people, and then he died because he just wasn't strong enough, I think that would have been possibly more meaningful to me as a reader. But I also understand that he probably has a very interesting arc going forward after her death. It just, it felt like her character was more of a tool than an actual character in, like, of her own right. Because she was there to fulfill Seizid's arc, she was there to make Eland a better king, she was there to give in, like, the small amount of therapy that she did get. And then her job was done, and so she got removed. So that's, like, the issue that I have. I don't have an issue with, like, people dying in the war. But honestly, I have no idea what's going to happen to Seizid. I That was a heartbreaking passage to read when he starts to question, like, everything that he has dedicated his life to and what it truly means. And... Oh, I don't know. I feel like he's gonna... I don't think it's going to be good for him. I, I will say that. I don't know what is going to happen, but I he don't think it's going to be definitely the book out good. really optimistic, too. And you slowly watch him just yeah, I mean, lose hope. And at the end, when she's dead, I think he says something like, "Yeah." and that was the last of my beliefs yes. or something. And I was like, oh, that's his whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, say that who's, like, so <laughs> religious. I mean, if you... If you're listening to this, to this, you know that uh, Seizid makes it to the end yeah. of book two. And, well, it's, I mean, <clears throat> Brandon is a very religious person and he writes very creative and different religions in his books, in all of them. And particularly Seizid is like the very big representation of the way you can have all of these religions in one person, a person who can believe in all of them, a people that a person that has to look for the way to find his faith again, even if he was like the most faithful person that we have ever read in one of his books. Yeah. Because he he said that he believed in all of his religions. And now he's like when when you read that part in which he finds out that Dean Will died and he's hopeless, you know that he has to go through a journey of finding or doing something about it because it's like the most important thing in his character, the religious figure he is. Yeah, I think a lot of this is kind of raising the question of belief in the religion itself or belief that the religion has worth. And I feel like there's a slightly different meaning in those two because I never really felt like Seizid believed in all of these religions, but I thought that he believed that they had worth and therefore should be collected and continued. And so 
I'm not sure that he understood that himself. Um, not to say that I know more about the character yes. than he does, but I feel like he's now coming to that conclusion but, and like questioning, can I believe that religion has worth even if I don't believe in it? Because he still feels this connection to like the terrorist religion, even though he doesn't know what it is. And so I feel like if he was able to find that, that would be like his belief Whereas he still believes that everything else has worth and deserves to be continued and carried on. But yeah, so I thought it was a really interesting thing to see. Because he kept saying, I believe in all these religions. And it just never seemed like he did. And other people questioned it. And he was just like, oh, no, no, I do. I do. I absolutely do. And seeing him kind of be like, well, actually, do I? And if I do, what does that mean? And how does that change my actions? It's just, it was very interesting to see him go down that path even if it was also heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. That first chapter of his, when he's desperately trying to teach religion, and they're all like, where's the Lord Ruler? He's going to take care of us. He's like, no, he was awful. And he's like, but he provided for us. So it's like, <laughs> he, it's a losing battle for him. <laughs> yeah, he's struggling. Seisid is one of my favorite characters in Mistborn, but without giving spoilers, the best of him is yet to come. Especially because of what Ilana said. He had this like nice idealistic idea of the worth that religions had, but now he's confronted with the bigger questions in religion, like, do you really believe? Do you believe in all of them? In everything they say? And yeah, he has to go yeah, through Yeah, and journey. like a crisis of faith is something that I think most religious people go through at some point. And for some people, that is what pushes them away from religion completely. And for others, that's what makes their belief like even stronger afterwards. So I'm very yes. interested to see which direction Seizet is going to go if he's going to just completely abandon everything, which... I hope he doesn't, it, since it's literally his life life's work, or if he's going to kind of stick with it and try to learn more, do more. <laughs> you look so sad, Shane. Yeah, I, I was struggling hard not to it's really hard anything. for me right now. <laughs> oh no. Oh, this is hard to mention, but I, I am absolutely loving the input that you're giving, Ilana, because it's unspoiled with the Hero of Ages. Every time I go to pick up Hero of Ages, I just <laughs> think of everything that you guys have said about it, and I'm like, oh, do I have like the emotional strength to deal with this right now? Probably not. And then I just put it back down. <laughs> it's, I found a very interesting yeah, I mean, like phenomenon with spoilers, where the closer somebody gets to the end of a series, the closer somebody gets to like me not having to... Uh, hold back spoilers the harder it is to hold back spoilers it's happened uh with the people like from ways for reading with the wheel of time for the first time and like cows on knife of dreams and he's just missing the last three books and well the rest of knife of dreams and i'm like there's so much i'm like all the theories that i was like i can't comment because i'm afraid i'm going to say anything <laughs> that it just gets harder the closer somebody is to the end the closer to not having to worry about spoilers yeah, I mean, we can always go to safer topics like the very hateful characters in this book. <laughs> I have one last point on Sazed before that. So okay, I had the cool. book open, so I was like, what was the last okay, thing Okay, I want to hear it. And I remembered, you know, I just read this like two weeks ago. I remember the very dreadful last th three sentences. I'm just going to read it because I think it, it was a huge stomach sure. drop for me the first time I read it. And how Sazed sat back, it was the final blow, the last strike that killed whatever was left of his faith. He knew at that moment that he would never believe again. And that's when he realizes that his the tablet he copied was not the same 
It's like, what is going on here? There's something awful going on. And that's the last we see him <laughs> in the book. It's so depressing. <laughs> I don't cry. It's like... Oh, no. Oh, my God. It, it, it sets up a lot of uh, things that it's not going to get better anytime soon, based off of that quote. I always forget that line is in there every time I read it, and it just kills yeah. me. Because it's the last yeah. page. Brandon is full of sadness. <laughs> Brandon's work, actually. I, I don't know about the actual Brandon, if he's full of sadness or happiness. But his books are full of this uh, oppressing, hitting, painful sadness that somehow at the end is like accompanied with some sort of wholesome message. I don't know how he do this. He makes you very sad, like with these kind of things, and then he makes you feel a little better, but... He, he makes you feel like you have to go through the sadness to understand the real state of happiness that comes, or the peace that comes after the battle, the emotion of battle. Let's <laughs> go to something where that's not that bad, but still quite emotional because it seems we all hate him. Uh, Vain. Oh gosh, are you sure you don't want to start with like one of the more simple <laughs> characters? I feel like we're gonna get started and we're just not gonna stop. Whenever someone mentions oh, Zane, I want to talk about the very last thing he hears before he died. That's what the first thing I want to talk about whenever someone mentions because I'm like, the voice told him you were not mad, you were not crazy. Bye bye. Bye. Shine. <laughs> related to that, oh, which I actually uh, was listening to today, Eric from the 17th Garden, like. He hates Zane. He absolutely hates Zane. Like and he was fellow. so happy when Zane died that his mind glossed over that line of "You are not crazy." Oh, he skipped it. No, that he didn't. Like he didn't internalize what that meant because he was so happy Zane died. Oh my! That would be me. Um, I'm just look. I'm rereading this portion. What page is it? Literally, just did not even like take that in <laughs> because I just like thank god he's gone and then I just kind There's of moved on <laughs> so, so now oh dear oh dear I oh, wish I'm he so had scared. the same kind of death as Straff did because that death was so gruesome and he deserves it but I wish Zane had it oh <laughs> so satisfying Zane is a monster in this book I can't be convinced otherwise. Yes, he is. I hate his I gas hate everything about him. Every time he talks, he's like, Ellen doesn't love you. And I'm just like, shut yes. up. Like, anytime I saw Zane and dialogue, I skipped three <laughs> pages. Got it. So, because I was like, I know what happens. I'm not going to rile myself up. I'm done. Yeah, that's valid. Yeah. Like, he doesn't get better. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, and he reminds me of so many guys that I actually oh. know. Oh, God. And I'm like, I hate everything about them, and now I have to deal with you in my book, even though I'm trying to escape other people. And I'm like, what are you doing here? No! But, like, okay, I'm on page 587. I just want to say, this is one thing that made me so angry, was um, he said, you could have yeah. saved me. I was willing to go with you, now oh what is God, left? So and then he, like, starts going to attack her, and I'm like, it's not her not job to you. save you. We me. are in, not in a YA fantasy novel where the female <laughs> protagonist always has to save the dark and male with the mysterious past of the 
Oh my god. <laughs> Shay's out here just coming to attack YA. No, YA is fine. I I read a lot of YA. It just annoys me when it gets that way. I, I'm scared. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, there's some YA that are fine. Stupid edgy But then there's, like, the Twilight things. Yeah. This, this is me who has never watched or read Twilight. But that type of thing where it's always, like, the job of, like, the female protagonist to save the angsty male with a dark past who says, you do not deserve me. Uh, sadly, this happens in real life, too. Like, people yeah. can... How do I phrase this? Like, it's not, first of all, it's not your job to save another person in a relationship because that's toxic. And so you can't expect no. that just because of your love, the other person is going to get better. There are other ways of dealing with that. There's therapy, there is that person actually getting over themselves in Zayn's case. There are a lot of other options. Love isn't the magic solution. And that's what Zayn expected. Zayn really thought that Vin was going to save him, but it was not her job. Yeah. And it's not, like, someone's girlfriend's job to be their therapist, either. So, like, even if he was willing to get help, that's not something that you should expect your partner to do for you. You have to go and get help outside the relationship. And they can be supportive. Yeah, exactly. They can putting be that all on your partner is so wrong selfish and can be so... Yeah, selfish and can be so I never toxic. heard him talking about helping her with her, like... Her yeah, he enough trauma on her own. Mm -hmm. He just made everything worse for her so that she would go to him. And, like, the, the sheer amount of gaslighting that happens, like you said, Chris, is just so... Oh my god, I hate everything I about really him the actor who and everything him that he does. 50 years whenever this gets adapted. Plays a little better, because I don't know if Brandon's being intentional with just how... <laughs> awful he is he never talks about him it's not like with ben where <laughs> he's always talking about how he wrote ben and how she was perfect and like he not perfect as a person obviously but like she was fully formed he knew what to do with her but with zane it's like a afterthought i thought there were too many villains in this book and i wish zane was someone else i did not like him at all that's fair yeah I think he's interesting because he, like, a lot of the monstrosity that we see from him isn't actually, like, his actions against people. It is solely, like, the emotional issues that he causes Vin. And so I thought that was interesting to see because they don't, they aren't like, oh, he's terrible because he murders people in cold blood, he which is bad. Um, yeah, <laughs> he does that. But, like, that's nothing new. But that's okay in um, the Mismoon world, I mean, <laughs> everyday coin. Yeah. And his main crime is the gaslighting and the, like, terrible, toxic relationship that he has with Vin. And so I think that's interesting as a villain, but it was definitely different than what I was expecting. So I'd love to see what the adaptation does with also, that. Also, can we change his name? that happens. Because it does not fit in this world. I am scared for yeah, the Eric actor. was complaining about this uh, earlier when I was listening to a shard cast and it was like, Mistborn names tend to be either very French or very Germanic. Mm -hmm. For the most yeah. part. Unless they're like terrorist names. Terrorist names are different. But like, things like that. And they just is just so straight up American. It just doesn't fit, first yeah. of all. Oh, me and my Spanish friend called him Zane. Okay. What you said about being scared for his actor, I think that was Alf. Yeah. Um, uh, you know. You know that he's going to be, like, all the teenage <laughs> girls' favorite, though. They're going to be like, oh my god, he's such a no! bad boy. Like, no. You know, Vin should have gone with him. He needed her to no, save No, I think him. it's going to be, like, like uh, this character in Game of Thrones, this this horrible Cersei kid, the first one, uh, Joffrey. <laughs> he's going to be, like, a Joffrey 
Baratheon. Yeah, but Joffrey wasn't like as dark and brooding as. Oh yeah, that's true. Like Joffrey was cruel, but he wasn't like I I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I've read the books. Was he moody? Was he moody is the question. <laughs> that That is, he needs to be moody and, like, philosophical. We're gonna see a and lot of hot topic posters. Ha- he needs to have dark hair, genius. too. Dark Keep hair and strong out, jaw. Of the actor. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Oh, and the fact that he didn't wear the mist cloak, was it so? He didn't wear it. He was such a different boy. Better than yeah. everybody else. And it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> No. You know, you know they're gonna make that scene like he's actually like takes the mist cloak off and he's like shirtless or something. <laughs> like, thing, yo. Uh... Oh my god. Can we talk about his self harm? I didn't notice though? that. Like I that is such a because I hated that image. I didn't notice that like, either. Kind of triggering. Like I did not enjoy any of that and skip past any time where he was like holding a knife. Because I'm like, no, nope, can't handle is, like, it. Disgusted, and mm. he's like the most disgusting guy. Yeah, that's crap. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm going to say something possibly very controversial, but on my first time reading this book, I didn't hate it. I, I didn't hate a saying. I felt pity for him, and I was kind of very sad when he died. And I was kind of, what the heck? What? Are, why is the boy saying he's not crazy? What? Uh, what the fuck? But, I mean, in my first time reading the book, I was like, everything that happened to Sane is yeah. Straff's fault. It's his fault. And I was like, who do I hate the most? Serious <laughs> Straffventures. Serious Straffventures. Oh. I can't make my mind. I can't. I don't know. I mean, he is so hated among my my Cosmere friends that we have we have a, a, an RPG campaign going on, and one of the one of the bad guys is actually called Straffventure, and oh my god, he is so triggering whenever he appears, and he's like a fiction of a fictional character. But the second time I read the book, I was like, oh no, 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 nothing about Sane being a poor sad boy. I mean, he was he was yeah. messed up. He did not deserve any kind of mercy that um, I was I giving felt before. Bad. I felt uh-huh. bad for Zane at the very beginning. Whenever they're just like, hey, here's this kid being like abused by his dad. And then it becomes pretty clear that he... There were choices that he could have made to get out of that situation if he really wanted to. And, like, he decided to stay. And so I think that's where my... Like, I stopped feeling any sympathy for him. Because I'm like, okay, you know Elon's your brother, you could go to him, you could be like, hey, here's our plan, you could, like, make these decisions to not murder people (laughs) in cold blood, not, like, take over a kingdom even whenever you think that, like, the person doing it is bad. Like, there were so many things that he could have done, so, yeah. But I can definitely see where, like, Mm -hmm. like, he fell in love with the same girl that his brother was Oh, we're gonna come back to that. We're gonna that come back to that, of. but what so we're I was gonna say this? I hate the culmination of yeah, we're gonna come back that to that plot line with Ben and him because they just murder an entire like five story castle, and she just goes like into yeah. a deep depressive episode afterwards. Yes, and realizes like, oh, that was totally not the thing to do. Mm-hmm. I got tricked. That was kind of an yeah. overreaction. <laughs> and he. The whole time they're like, he's a misborn, he's a misborn, perfect cover, being crippled. And I'm like, no, it's like, he's not the misborn. 
We're going to come back to that, too, because I have opinions about that. As I said, too many villains in this book. Yeah, and some of them were actually good. Like, Straff, as much as we hate him, he was written very well, because there's a reason we hate him so much. It's similar to, like, uh, several characters in The Wheel of Time, but the whole fandom, with a few exceptions, hate. But that's just because they were written so well. Yeah, I get this moldering hate, and it's funny because uh there's this uh first time reader in the legendarium server they're currently like on a stormlight and uh like you were, you mentioned sadius earlier and how everybody hates him as well and that person really like just kept saying i just wish vin were here to slice him like through like with a knife with a sword like she took to strap i kind of feel bad for his horse though but okay, okay i feel bad for all the horses whenever they yeah, she like too. Yeah, on agree. their uh, horses, and I'm like, no, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything and it's like, it's like, awful. yeah. And she's the only one who does that, I think, the whole series up to this point. I'm like, can't you just push on their armor <laughs> and leave the horses alone, please? Yeah, I feel very sad for the horse too, but um, I don't know. I mean, I hate, I I absolutely hate Strafventure, and I get freaked out every time his characters appears in my D&D campaign and he's actually called the Lord Ruler of a little cities and, and people kind of likes him because he's giving he's putting orders and stuff but aside from that what I think makes a good a good written evil character is the fact that even if you hate him you can understand the reasons and you can I mean it's not fun to see a guy who's evil because he's evil like ha 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 I'm going to do bad stuff because that's what I do. Period. Ha. Huh. I'm evil. I mean, with with Sadius, you have like someone who has like a logical or personal motivation to do everything he does, and I think that makes him more interesting. But being a character that's just plainly evil because he can and because he's powerful and because he is abusive. Oh, it's hard not to eat. I hate his mistresses he has. every time he I appears. I hate all that. I... Yes. God, yes. Oh my gosh, that. Oh. I was kind of uncomfortable with that I put a part. note somewhere um, here about it. But well, I, in the end, I was glad that he got poisoned. I like that she was yeah. poisoning him, but it was so messed up. Okay, so hi, it's Ilana. We're doing something a little different this month because it is currently my final exam season for university and I just couldn't get everything edited properly in time for the release. And so instead what we're doing is I'm going to release part one today, which you've all just listened to, and then in about two weeks time you should be getting the rest of it. Hopefully by then everything will be taken care of and we'll be good. So, yeah, you can follow us and contact us through all of our social media. The links for that will be in the show notes. And you can feel free to email us at worldhopperspodcast at gmail.com. Check out our subreddit at worldhopperspodcast. And, oh, don't forget to check out the Discord. You can DM us on Instagram and we will get you the link. It's also in our Instagram bio. So you can find Shay on the 17th Shard forums under the profile Cheyenne Sedai. And you can find Christian on his Instagram page called Christian's Hobby Blog with an I instead of a Y in hobby. And we will also put that link down in the show notes. Also, you should definitely check out his YouTube. It is amazing. 
So tell us your feedback and ask us your questions. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Let us know what you've thought of the show and what your favorite moments from the Cosmere have been. And tell us about your theories regarding what Brandon's got going on in his head when it comes to the Cosmere. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would give us a five-star review on iTunes. Rating the show really helps listeners to find us and build a community around the show so that we can find more amazing Cosmere readers. Make sure to share the podcast with other Brandon Sanderson fans you know, and anyone that you want to introduce to the series. We know how hard it can be to try and explain this to someone new without overwhelming them. And as always, journey before destination. Bye!